Thanks so much for taking the time to chat. Hey, my pleasure. I um, how did I hear about you through uh, through one of the members in the the Ethereum Society? I put it on the group chat, and one of them came back and said they were a big fan of your YouTube channel. Oh wow, very cool. Yeah, you've been going a few years now. Yep, almost two. Not quite. Only two years. I thought it was longer than that. Um, well, a little bit. I dropped one or two a couple of years ago, but didn't start doing it regularly until really just over a year ago or a year and a half. Actually, I'll have to check that. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of time these days. But you've been um, you've been doing it a long time now. You've been checking out. You've been writing books for a long time now. Oh yeah, yep, thirty-five years. I think it is. Thirty-five years. Gosh. So, so I'll just ask you some general questions. I'll read a short introduction and then is there anything, any particularly things we should touch on with you? Any, um, no, not in particular. Happy to talk about wherever the conversation leads us. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen you have done so many great interviews. I don't have like a, I don't have like a long list of questions. I don't want it to be like a job interview. So, <laughs> so don't like pause and expect me to keep asking you questions. Just, um, it's just a chat, you know, like if, if you came around for dinner, yeah, I wouldn't have a list of questions. No, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd worry about what food to make. <laughs> <You know? laughs> all right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to hear, I just want to hear all about it, you know, and I'll tell you, cause I come from the Ethereum society background. So I'm very into this, um, have you heard of, heard of it before or I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I want to talk about as well from my end, but I also want to know about, you know, cause there's a lot not covered there, you know, all about the grays and the, the abductions and things like that. So that's not, that's not covered it. Cause Dr. King didn't talk about that. He was talking about other things, other operations. So, you know, so there's many blanks still to fill in. So hopefully we can, can go into that as well. Yeah. Sounds great. All right. Let me just read this short introduction. Okay, ready. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to the Mystic Cast, where you join me, Jack Stafford, a student of metaphysics, as I talk to a variety of guests to better understand the teachings given by the masters through the Ethereum Society, the new cosmic religion for the Aquarian Age, incorporating all yogas, Christian mysticism, theosophy, UFOs, and much, much more. Please note this is not an this is an independent a program, not produced or fact checked by the Ethereum Society. Today, my guest is Preston Dennett, a UFO expert. Hello, Preston. Hi. So you are indeed a, a UFO expert. Now, 35 years of independent study, research, interviews. What a career. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely interested in them. Or more so, almost obsessed, I would say. So why UFOs? Why not? And insert here, anything else? Ah. <laughs> uh, I wish I could answer that. Um, honestly, I had no idea that this would be something I would be doing. Certainly wasn't looking for it. Did not believe in UFOs actually growing up, but I was a pretty young man when I found out that there was something to this. I was 21 years old, it's 1986. And there was a report on the news about a sighting over Alaska. 
And it was a very short news report. The newscasters pretty much ridiculed the subject, honestly. But they did feature this pilot, Kenju Tarochi, a Japanese commercial airline pilot, who said that he and his crew saw a UFO. Uh, later found out it was tracked on radar. It followed their plane for nearly an hour. They requested a course change to sort of shake this UFO, but it still followed them. So it's really a great case, uh, but none of that was really in the news report at all. Uh, but I remember looking at this pilot thinking, this poor guy, you know, he thinks he saw a UFO. There's, he's got to be joking. He's actually what I thought was that he was seeing a reflection off the ice cap. Kind of ridiculous when I later heard that, you know, this UFO, there were actually two of them that he saw. It was twice the size of his, you know, commercial jet, which is huge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I just thought, well, this, this guy has thrown his career away. He probably shouldn't have reported this. I was right about that because <laughs> he did get grounded. He was not allowed to fly after this. And, uh, but it interested me. And I remembered that my brother, Mark, my older brother said he'd seen a UFO. Uh, you know, seven years earlier, I remember him come running into the house and said he saw this thing. It was really low, it was silent. And I remember just looking at him, shaking my head, <laughs> like, you know, Mark, you did not see a UFO. There was no such thing. But after hearing this report in the news, I asked him about it. I don't know why, but I did. And he was pretty excited to tell me. He's like, oh, you're ready to listen now, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, just tell me. And he told me this incredible sighting that he had had with two of his friends while driving along Reseda Boulevard, actually not far from where I live right now. Uh, it was at night and he saw, he and his friends saw this metallic craft, your typical saucer, colored lights around it. <laughs> Uh, silent. It was at treetop level, just above the telephone poles and scooting along and they were chasing it. And he's like, Preston, other cars were chasing it too. Everyone was hanging their heads out the window, looking at this thing, pointing. Huh. I'm like, wow. And he says, yeah, we chased it for a good 15 minutes. It would like stop and wait for us. They get really close to it, you know, just like a couple hundred feet away. And, uh, then it would take off again. <laughs> Almost as if kind of playing a little game with them. And I'm like, really, Mark? Are you sure? He's like, you don't believe me? You know, ask Phil, ask Greg. They were with me. Those were his friends. And I did. I ended up calling them. <laughs> and uh, they were also really excited to talk to me. And described the same thing. So that was kind of my introduction to the field. And I kept thinking, I don't know. Hmm. I knew Mark wasn't lying. You know what I mean? He's my brother. Mm, yeah, you know him. So I'm like, huh, he's not lying. Pretty sure he's not misperceiving. Uh, can't be a hallucination. All three of them are seeing this thing. So what else could it be? Still wasn't ready to say aliens or anything. But I started checking out books and I started asking other people. And I found out that my sister-in-law had seen a UFO. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, it was, you know, three lights. They were hovering over Van Nuys Air Force Reserve Base. We were staying there for a while. They were totally silent. It was quite close, really low. I'm like, are you sure? Because if you don't believe me, ask my friends. They were there. 
Adley, ask him, you know him. I'm like, I, I did. I knew her friend. I ended up calling him up too. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, we watched it and it moved off real fast. Uh, my sister-in-law did not remember that part, but uh, he said, yeah. Otherwise it was you know, the same thing. Like, wow. So I started asking everybody and I found out that a lot of people I knew had had encounters. Some were major. I mean, there was a, a lady, a family friend, Sylvia was her name. She says she was in her house. She heard this low sort of buzzing noise, but it was quite loud. And she ran outside with her friend and there was this egg shaped object moving right over their house, very low. And I'm like, are you sure it wasn't a meteor? <laughs> she says, no, Preston, it was moving slow. It was an egg shaped object. It was big. It was like a house float, floating through the air. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, and I brought it up at work. You know, I had, I worked with, gosh, 20 other people in an office and the lady had worked with for years. My desk was next to hers. I, I'm like, what do you think about UFOs? She said, oh, we, me and my whole family saw one. Really? <laughs> she just starts describing this, you know, star-like object, which was darting around. It would stop, hover, move at right angles. Like, my whole family saw it. Really? I ended up talking to her daughter. Uh, and in walks Dorothy, <laughs> another lady I was working with. And you got to love Dorothy. She's totally unfiltered, <laughs> really outgoing. And here's us talking. She's like, UFOs? Oh, one followed me and my best friend and my mom home from the library. <laughs> and I remember looking up at her. I'm like, what? <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, feeling, you're feeling left out of this at this stage now. I mean, where's my experience? Exactly. I was kind of upset. I'm like, how come you guys didn't tell me? I'm like, well, you never asked or you wouldn't have believed me or I don't talk about this. Mm. This sort of thing, which I kind of understand. And, and. In Dorothy's case, she said that she left the library at nine o'clock right after it closed. This, th this saucer drops down out of the sky with this star-like object. They're looking at it like, that looks weird. Drops down. They get into the car and, and they're like, mom, look. There were, you know, like 12 or 15 or something. I'm like, mom, look, this, look, it's right over the car. And mom looks up. I ended up interviewing the mother and her friend. And it followed them home. And she says, Preston, within five minutes from the library, this is the P.O. Pico library. And uh, we live just five minutes away. We left at nine o'clock. I know we left exactly at nine because the library had just closed. And we got home. This thing was still overhead, right over our car, very low. And they ran into the house. They were freaking out and looked out the window. And this thing hovered there for just a few more seconds started back and forth and took off up into outer space. And that's when Carol, Dorothy's friend, looks at the clock and says, ah, it's 10.15. How did it get to be 10.15? I thought it was 9 o'clock. And, and Dorothy's looking at me and says, Preston, I have no idea where the time went. And by this time, I had read a number of books, including Missing Time by Bud Hopkins. Missing Time... It's something that occurs when someone is taken on board a craft and sometimes they don't remember. So this was a clear cut case of missing time. And I'm like, wow, what is going on here? This is crazy. And found out that, you know, the daughter of the lady I worked with had had an encounter with grays, gray aliens. And my sister-in-law as well. She later told me, well, you know, 
I also had an encounter with Grace. I'm like, wait, what? Or she actually didn't say Grace. She said, I saw something. I don't know what it was. She had never heard of Grace. So I'm like, well, just tell me what you saw. Because by this point I had like, you know, I was starting to buy everything I could find on this. And uh, she's one evening, this was like late 1970s. She was in college. She's an artist. So really she's got an almost eidetic memory too. I mean, she remembers everything in detail. And she says she was walking along uh, Stag Street by the elementary school and saw what she thought were two kids in front of the school. Problem is it's late at night. You know, it's 11.30 p.m. And she's like, well, that can't be kids. You know, it's far too late for them to be out there alone. There were two of them standing right next to each other. And uh, she's walking up to them thinking, well, well, that's weird. They look like they're bald. <laughs> And they sure have big heads. And she's thinking, could they be wearing Halloween masks? What's going on? Because it was like the summertime, not Halloween. And as she walks up right next to them, she's about 10 feet away now. And she turn, they turn in and look at her. She says they were almost float. They looked like they were floating about two inches off the ground and just kind of pivoted and looked right at her. And she says, Preston, this was like being woken up when you're already awake. I, I, she was, it was a real shock because they weren't human because they absolutely could not have been human. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She said, well, their heads were huge. They had huge bald heads, enormous dark eyes, and their skin was chalk white. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like Grays. I didn't tell her that. Uh, I'm like, well, what do you think they were? She said, I don't know. They couldn't have been human. And she, she said, they, they were wearing these olive green jumpsuits. She starts going into all these details. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, and she says, they're super, super thin. And their necks were so thin, it's almost as if they couldn't hold their heads up. So all these details were st things I'd read in these books. And I was kind of predicting what she would say. And I think that was the real aha moment for me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's aliens. I mean, there's no way around this. It's been studied for decades. There's a UFO cover-up I discovered by this time. And uh, a lot of people are apparently having encounters. If you no, know, I know this many people. So, yeah, I was not happy. <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> That's strange because people, like I have never seen an alien. I've ne I don't know many people who have but they they say probability is clumpy i've heard that say with a lot of things like you know if if you have an experience and then you, many people seem to cluster in that area so it's not sort of average it's not averaged out all around the world is it yeah it's very hard to say because i was thinking along those lines i'm like why do i know so many people who have seen this stuff is it because i'm here in california mm. um, you know and I started asking, you know, other people, and, you know, friends of friends. I, I started asking everybody, every single person I could find, because I heard a quote from J. Allen Hynek. And if J. Allen Hynek is a famous, he's kind of called the father of modern ufology. He was a part of the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which was studying, I'll put that in quotes, <laughs> studying the <laughs> subject, because <laughs> uh, Project Blue Book was kind of a, a whitewash, a farce 
wasn't a true investigative body. They were just, it's more of a publicity stunt to sort of deal with the people who were reporting UFOs. But at any rate, Jalen Hynek was the astronomical consultant for Blue Book, eventually left it because he just felt they weren't doing true investigations and started writing his own books and became a huge believer and a proponent. And he said that one in 40 people have been taken on board. And I remember, yeah, that was exactly my thought. I'm like, no way. No, that means I would know someone who's been taken on board. And I already had, you know, interviewed Dorothy by this point. And I suspected that she had that experience. And that's when I found another family friend who had missing time. And it turned out my other sister-in-law, who had married my brother, Mark, (laughs) she's like, well, yeah, you know, I had this experience when I was a kid. These blue beings would come to, into my bedroom. They did it over and over again. I'm like, Christy, what are you talking about? I'm telling you this precedent has happened to me. And she's an artist too. And she drew them for me. Now, you know, years later, I would show this drawing to other people. And they're like, oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. So yeah, I think this is happening to a lot of people. And there are UFO hotspots. Uh, but I am pretty much convinced that if, you know, you're a skeptic and you don't believe in UFOs, I dare you to mm. ask your family, your friends, your coworkers. Cause I think we all know 40 people, um, or close to it at least. And I think you'll get a real shock. I bet you, bet you, bet you. One of them will say, oh yeah, I, I, one of these things came down and that's the last thing I remember. You know, then I woke up in another place or. One of them will say, yeah, I did have something enter into my bedroom when I was a little kid. Or, yeah, one of the, I saw a UFO and it was darting around and I couldn't identify it. So I think it's far more common than people realize. Pretty much sure of it. And I, I'll tell you why. <laughs> because I, inter- you know, I started doing formal interviews at this point. And every single person I interviewed, I asked them, did you report this? And not one. Not one did. I had to interview about a hundred people before I finally found someone who said they called the police. None of them reported it to the UFO reporting centers. There's two big ones here in the U.S. MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, and NUFARC, the National UFO Reporting Center. And they receive 10, 20 reports a day. So if I'm, think, I'm doing the math here. I'm like, okay, let's say it's 10, right? Times that by 100. That's 1,000 reports a day. You know, t- probably more than that. So right now, I bet you someone is seeing a UFO at this exact moment. Because people do not talk about this. They're not talking. They're not reporting it. Who are you going to tell? Who's going to believe you? Especially back in the, I mean, now things are better. But there was a lot of ridicule, a lot of skepticism, a lot of disbelief when I got involved in this field. You've been doing it for so long. So the obvious question is, is why are they doing it? If, they, if you could fly across the galaxy and you have all this technology and all this you're much higher intelligence, obviously, why would you take people onto a ship or, and have these, why would there be sightings and why would there be abductions? Yeah. <laughs> I really wondered about that too. I'm like, really, if they're coming 
wherever they're coming from, and presumably it's other star systems, what is so special about Earth? I mean, we're hardly that advanced compared to them. And I kind of just realized, well, we're kind of stuck with the stories for whatever reason they are. They are taking people on board. I've talked to enough people that I know that this is happening, and that sightings are widespread. There's virtually no place on our planet that hasn't been visited. But after interviewing all these people, especially the ones who, you know, claim to be taken on board, I think we start to get a really good handle on the so-called alien agenda. Like, why are they doing this? What is going on? Uh, because when someone is taken on board, you could pretty much predict what's going to happen because so many reports have been made. And the most common thing that people will experience is being physically examined. And uh, they will have genetic material taken. So this seems to be one of their main agendas, is to physically examine people and study them. And what's really interesting about this is if this has happened to you, chances are very high that it happened to your parents or, or your, and or your grandparents. Oh, uh, okay. And, or your children. So this is tracking families. This is tracking genetic lines and it has been for a very long time. And we've got cases that track back several generations. So I think this is one of the reasons. Another is, you know, people do get messages. They do have conversations with these ETs. It's mostly grays that I hear about. But there are a wide variety of different types. And the messages are almost always the same. It's shocking to hear people who do not know each other, who have not read UFO books, who kind of shy away from the subject because it scares them a little bit or for whatever reason. And uh, they start describing the same thing. And over and over again, ETs will tell people about the dangers of nuclear proliferation of nuclear bombs, of the use of nuclear materials. They say it's very, very dangerous. Tell people not to do this. They warn about our warlike ways. Uh, one lady I interviewed from Maine had a long conversation with them. And they said, you need to tell people to stop putting out the greed and negativity they're putting out. Because if you don't stop doing this, you will destroy your planet like we did ours. I'm like, yes, I've, this is what other people have told me. They're very concerned about our polluting our planet. Over and over again, ETs are telling people, you're on the road to self-destruction. You need to turn things around. You need to stop using fossil fuels. There are other sources of energy. It's exactly what they, I mean, I've heard this a million times, but one guy I interviewed, he was a military witness, an electronics engineer. And this is exactly what they were telling him. I'd love it when I get a military witness because they're, they're trained observers. You know, these are people we rely on to defend our country. I talked to a Navy medic, same thing. This is someone, you know, who absolutely we depend on to save our lives. And he was taken on board, had a long conversation with praying mantis type ETs. And they told him the same thing. They said, when you guys started exploding nuclear bombs, it started a countdown clock. That was the words they used, he said. 
And they said, because of that, you are causing weather disruptions on your planet and all these hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and tidal waves will happen. And they showed him, they showed him all of this. He said it was weird. It was like in full living color, like a hologram, like looking outside of a window. So people are saying the same thing. And that's another main ET agenda. I would say a third one is to sort of wake people up psychically. Because I say this because people come away from their experiences and they start having all kinds of paranormal experiences. They will start perhaps let, I've got several cases of people who spontaneously levitated, physically levitated following their experience. I ended up writing a whole book on human levitation. And uh, people talk about having dreams that come true. Or they will start doing psychic readings. Probably most common is people feel like they have the ability to do hands-on healing. Uh, you know, Reiki, this sort of thing. But channeling, out-of-body experiences, past life recall. This is when I started really becoming not only a UFO researcher, but a ghost hunter. <laughs> um, you know, I started looking into all different aspects of the paranormal. You name it. I, multiple personalities I even looked up. Demonology, angels, uh, out-of-body experiences, past lives, all of this. I had to study it because I wanted to figure out what's going on. You know what I mean? A lot of researchers are very nuts and bolts oriented. Like, don't tell me about ghosts. I don't want to hear it. I think that's a mistake. I really do. Because if you're ignoring evidence, how do you, how are you going to solve any mysteries? You can't just throw away a part of a person's story. Uh, that's not science. There's a lot of researchers out there who are sort of doing a lot of cherry picking, a lot of shoe fitting. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's like, you know, here's my theory and I'm going to prove it. And they start looking for evidence that proves their theory. Like these are time travelers from the future and will throw away any case that doesn't fit their theory. And that's not how you do science. I, I had a very this sort of a scientific background. I was very into science when I got involved in this. And so that's kind of my approach. I was very, very ironically, I became even more skeptical <laughs> after finding out UFOs were real because it, it, how would I describe it? It exploded my belief system. I mean, I had to reevaluate everything. And if UFOs were real, it's like, what else had I missed? Oh, ghosts. I didn't believe in ghosts <laughs> or life after death. So I had to reevaluate everything. I've got much more skeptical. I really dug deep and I realized, yeah, this is probably what's happening here. Uh, they're trying to, you know, they're very interested in our genetics. And uh, I started getting reports of hybrid babies and that kind of, mm, that made me really like what <laughs> half alien half human babies really oh i would cringe when i started to hear these stories because as a skeptic i found i found it hard to believe but this was before you know bud hopkins major ufo researcher had come out with a book called intruders which talks all about this and 
more researchers started getting these cases. And I'm like, yes, I had one of these from the beginning and here's another and then another. I'd say this happens to every fifth, sixth person I interview. Um, they talk about seeing these half human, half alien babies. That's another agenda. And even more recently, I mean, a lady I interviewed in Florida had a long conversation with the gray. And she said, you know, why are you contacting me? And they said, well, we are interested in your genetics. We have lost the ability to reproduce. And that is why we need your genetics because, uh, you, you are helping us. And I'm like, yeah, I heard this story before. And she said, our, she had held a hybrid baby. And this was apparently that same grade. She says, are you my child? And he said, no, not like you would think of it, though I do have your genetics in me, but you did not give birth to me. And she's like, oh. And uh, she said, are you here to take over our planet? <laughs> and he said, no, no, your planet is far too crowded. It's far too polluted. You guys are very aggressive, very emotional. And we cannot uh, be around you for too long because you're very aggressive and neg negative. You're resonating in a negative way. And it's very difficult for us to be around that. And besides, there are many other planets that are far less populated. And uh, we have no need of your planet. So I think, yeah, and this is, you know, from my own research. And if you look at the research from other people like, you know, Bud Hopkins and John Mack and Barbara Lamb and all these other researchers, they're getting the same information. So I think we have a pretty good handle on what the ET agenda is. So you have a real map of it now. So are you able to sometimes debunk cases? You say you don't accept all of them. Some of them are made up. Yes, certainly that does happen. Um, honestly, not a lot. Um, there are people who come, call me up or contact me, you know, having read my book or seen me on TV or hearing a podcast like this. And will tell me a story that's just off the wall. Doesn't fit the pattern. Asking for money, maybe. <laughs> um, I'll chill, share my story. It's the best ever, but I, you'll have to pay me for it. Mm -hmm. I have z zero interest in that uh, because that's, I don't pay for interviews. Are you kidding? Uh, that rarely happens. Far more often, people are very uh, reluctant to have any publicity whatsoever. And uh, they contact me because they are having a hard time. And it's my number one priority to help a witness. When they speak to me, that is why I am here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, how can I help you? Because pe people will call me tearful. You know, they're very upset. They're very confused. Are you Somewhat like a counselor? Precisely. Um, and uh, so that's kind of my number one priority. It's almost always, particularly if someone's like taken on board or something, <laughs> or believe they've been taken on board, I, I should say, they will say something like, please don't use my name. Or I've... Don't tell anybody this. I haven't told my wife. I haven't told my husband. Nobody knows. I have no mental illness in my family. <laughs> I've got a good job. I've got a really good job. You know, I'm, I'm college educated. Uh, 
you know, all these sort of things. They'll give a little caveat. And, like, and uh, you know, if they're agreeable, I'll, I'll be like, can I interview you? Can I you know, record this? I'd really love to get your story down in detail. A lot of people have these experiences. I think it would be helpful. I'm like, that's fine, but do not use my name. So uh, I, of course, have to respect that. And, uh, you know, people will, uh, I'll be interviewing them and they will burst into tears. They will, I remember I was interviewing this one guy who had seen sort of reptilian type beings. And I'm like, well, what did they look like? And he started crying. And I'm like, and, and, you know, this is a full grown man uh, who was in the military. He's a, a Marine. Uh, a tough guy. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, I'm sorry. You know, don't be upset. You're fine. You're, you know, you're, you're fine. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just hard. I'm like, it's okay. It's, I understand. And he says, you know, Preston, I really can't tell you a whole lot of detail because when he looked at me and he was right up close, I got so scared that I did not want to look at it. But I will tell you, he had big eyes and they were kind of slits and he had scaly skin and he was eight feet tall, you know, twice as wide as I am and uh, was shaking, literally, you know, his voice was cracking as he's describing this. And that's something I deal with fairly frequently. I remember another interview I did involved four people. Um, three young adults, teenagers, and one guy who was, I think, 22, who were out on their deck at night in Topanga Canyon, a fairly rural area, which was having a wave of sightings. And this craft flew overhead, followed by two more, followed by this very large sort of mothership, which dropped down over the house and sent down a beam of light which played across the roof over onto the yard and took off. And so I'm interviewing one guy and he's like, oh yeah, it was amazing. I loved it. I've seen a UFO before, had little lights all around it. I wanted to jump into that beam. <laughs> and he just gives this great interview, right? Describing it in detail. And I'm talking to, you know, I'm like, and can, can you give me the number of the other people who were there? And it's like, sure, sure. I'm still friends. And I talked to the other guy and he's like, yeah. <laughs> I rem I'll never forget it. This thing came right over the house and sent on a beam of light. And I'm like, oh, really? What did it look like? And he's like, well, it was a big thing. I'm like, well, what was its shape? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what did it look like? He's like, mm. you know, I didn't really, you know, he was not giving a great interview. He was kind of just saying, yes, no, yes. Not getting detail. I'm like, well, did you see it? You know, did you get a good look at it? And he says, well, honestly, Preston, no. When that thing came over the house, I nearly crapped my pants. I, I was so frightened. I could not look at it. And I turned away and I hid sort of down by the wall of the house and crouched down. He did not want to look at it. It scared the living daylights out of him. So he did not give a great interview. And here was another witness who was clearly telling the truth uh, because he's so emotional. And describing what he could, which, which was basically the same thing, but just not in detail as the other witness, Gabe, was his name, who's not frightened. So 
So you've you've talked about different types, like the praying mantis, greys, reptilians. Are there other ones? And and do you have that? Do they have a different? Do they do people have different experiences when they encounter the different types? Um, yeah, to some extent. There, for, first of all, yeah, there's many different types. Uh, I would say 50, 60, 70 percent even are greys, or what we would think of as greys. But there are different types of greys. And some people do have different experiences with them. If the short, short little greys are not super emotional, and some people think they're not even alive as we would think of it. And I think there's some good evidence speaking towards that, that these would be more like biological androids even. I don't know, hard to say, but some are not emotional and don't seem to respond to human emotion. Uh, the short little ones, whereas the taller greys do have emotion and empathy. And, you know, if a person is experiencing pain, they will put their hand on your forehead perhaps, or, and, uh, stop the pain. And some people have had very loving experiences with them. Uh, well, others know. So there's some variation there, even among the greys, uh, praying mantis are usually described as eight, nine feet tall, 10. In a few cases, I have 15 foot tall praying mantises. I mean, huge. Wow. Yeah. Insanely. And, but they always describe them the same way. Very thin, very stick-like limbs, little hands that kind of curve up like a little dog begging kind of huge triangular shaped head with eyes the size of basketballs. <laughs> um, so they're describing these in the same way. The praying mantis are usually described as being very intelligent. And those who have that kind of experience often describe more conversations with them. Uh, it's sort of a back and forth and they get a lot more information than perhaps with some of the greys. Uh, there's also human looking ETs, ones that look very much like us. And people who, who encounter those are generally speaking less afraid or understandably because, you know, it's not a bug eyed thing <laughs> sort of coming at you. Uh, and strange humanoids, really, of all types, often I am contacted by people who say, you know, I, I'm contacting you because I want to know if you've ever had a case involving this kind of ET. And uh, as often as not, I have to say, no, <laughs> I have never heard of anyone describing what you're describing to me. Um, I'll just cite one case, which just amazed me. This lady, a housewife from Nebraska, uh, did not want her name used, uh, had an experience where she was having a lot of health problems, right? She had just had a baby. She had hypoglycemia or something. The doctors couldn't diagnose it, but her blood sugar was just out of control. She was fainting and she'd have to go get food and, after, and then she would, you know, revive and then she would pass out again. She was, you know having a real problem, passing out three, four, five times a day, losing weight rapidly. She had become overweight following her pregnancy, but was quite ill. And the doctors were unable to help her. They were trying all kinds of vitamins and treatments like this, but they just couldn't figure it out. And one evening she got up to go make sure she had a glass of juice and a peanut butter sandwich next to her. Uh, when she went to bed uh, and uh, boom, 
she was not in her living room anymore. She was in this huge area. She's like, she was honestly pressing. I don't know if this, this was even a UFO. It felt more like an underground base to me. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, because it was huge. There was a domed ceiling. There, there was indirect lighting. It was all lit up. Just, I couldn't see a single light anywhere. That's a red flag to me because that's something people describe. They never see a lamp, you know, or a light fixture. The place is just glowing. And she said it had an industrial carpet on the floor. Like, wow, that's unusual. That's, I rarely, I mean, only like once or twice have I ever heard that. And she said she was in a cubicle and there must've been hundreds of cubicles, like an, in an office. And she was lying on a table. And she saw across the hallway from her, there was another man in a plaid shirt, also lying on a table. And like her, he was very disoriented, very confused, somewhat out of it. She felt a little bit sedated, almost drugged even. So they're trying to gather their wits. And she's like, what's your name? He's like, my name is Cooper. What's yours? You know, where are we? She's like, I don't know. And they, she looks down, you know, she peeks outside of her cubicle and here's this guy walking towards her and scared the living daylights out of her because he wasn't human. And I'm like, what do you mean? He wasn't human. And she says, well, he was nine feet tall. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. And she says he was wearing this black sort of jumpsuit with a cape, what looked like a cape. His head was enormous. He had a huge jutting chin, giant uh, sort of Asian looking eyes, a huge, huge forehead and not hair, but what looked like straw sticking straight up about three inches from his head. And it was gold in color. And he came right up to her and walked in her, into her cubicle and she started screaming, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, trying to fight because this guy was really scary looking and he said okay now it's your turn jill that's not her real name but you know he used her real name she has no idea who this guy is not human and uh starts put you know laying her down puts this wrap around her puts these silver bell shaped instruments on her body on her chest and her abdomen and these instruments start pulsing energy into her body. And she said it was almost painful. There was a lot of energy pulsing through her. She's screaming in holy terror. And uh, she blacks out. And the next thing she knows, she's standing in her living room, hyperventilating, <laughs> freaking out, and uh, runs to wake up her husband. And he won't wake up. He will not wake up. She's shaking him, shaking, wake up, wake up. And she's, you know, she's got a couple of kids. She runs into their room, wake up, wake up. She's, you know, reciting the Lord's prayer. She's freaking out. She's not super religious, but she doesn't know what else to do. And uh, finally she goes back to her husband and shakes him again. And after, you know, about 10 or 20 minutes, he wakes up and she says, you know, this happened to me, this happened to me. He's like, honey, are you sure? She's like, yes, this happened to me. She does have a history of encounters all the way to childhood. I found out later after interviewing her. And her husband was very supportive. 
Uh, and long story short, she was sore for two weeks on her body where these instruments were, but she was going through the, the next day, going through her day and she felt good. And she realized by, at the end of the day, she's like, oh, you know what? I didn't pass out. Not once. And she didn't pass out after that. Never lost consciousness, started gaining her weight. She says, Preston, I think they healed me. Why would they heal me? Have you ever heard of this? And I'm like, yes. Healing is another one of their agendas. This is why I think they're often examining people. I've got 300 cases. I wrote a book on this. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we've, we've been talking for 40 minutes now. And I get, a, you know, you have a whole channel. Like you could keep going for hours and hours, <laughs> individual and different cases. And I mean, it's, it's mind blowing, really. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's shocking to me <laughs> to, to talk to these people and hear them say things I've, that I've heard from other people. Yeah. And I was initially pretty frightened, you know, because there's a lot of fear surrounding this subject. There's a lot of disinformation, yeah. a lot of lies. Uh, there's sort of an alien threat narrative being put forth by the, our own government. It's not true. I don't think they're here to hurt us. Uh, I don't think they're here to take over. The evidence does not support that. They're healing people. Mm. It feels like Men in Black, the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. just so much traffic and so many different species and so many different. So, so you don't believe they're, so you believe they're they're doing good. Are there some that are bad? And also what about the government? How much do they know? And, and also how advanced are they? And I'm aware this is three questions. <laughs> are they, are they able to have a, cause there's also talk of a secret space program. My last guest was talking about. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think they're here to hurt people. I'm not going to say they're all our space brothers, you know, and all our friends. Cause I do get, have negative reports, Okay, but they're pretty rare. Um, I have no accounts of what I would call outright sadism or torture. You know, like here on earth, when someone's say kidnapped, it, does, it mm -hmm. almost never ends well. Uh, but if you're kidnapped by ETs and they put you back and you're healed, you know, you're given all the spiritual information, given warnings, it's overall pretty positive, but it can start out extremely scary and traumatic and often does. So. That's what I would say. Yeah, some are negative, but mostly no. Mm. And as far as our government, um, they absolutely are covering this up. That's not speculation. We know this from documents released from the Freedom of Information Act. We know this because witnesses have been threatened by government or are under surveillance, have had their hypnosis tapes stolen. They'll write down their account and their house is broken into and and that their, their notes are stolen, nothing else. They'll take a picture of a UFO. Someone breaks in, you know, so. Has this happened to you? Have you had any problems? Um, a mm, little bit, honestly. Yeah. I've, I've had problems with my mail, had problems with my phone, problems with my email. Not a lot. I did receive a call once from some guy who claimed to be from government said, you better stop doing this. It's dangerous. You could get hurt. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, you're barking up the wrong tree. UFO investigation is dangerous. You, you should stop. Mm. I'm like, huh? You know, and he was saying that you know, he has a top secret clearance. He knows what he's talking about. 
no, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not what you think it is. I'm like, what do you mean? What, what is it? He says, well, there's no pay dirt in it. I'm like, well, wait a second. If there's no pay dirt, how could this be dangerous? I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he kind of was, I took that as a threat. Mm-hmm. But Roswell was real though. I mean, how advanced have the, have the military been able to develop their own technology in this area? Yeah, I think it's the one thing experiencers and investigators agree upon is these ETs are extremely advanced, you know, thousands, millions of years ahead of us, mm-hmm. almost to the point their stuff is like magic. I mean, they have beams of light that can levitate you, that can pull you through solid walls, heal you. Their ships are traveling between the star systems uh, and easily outdistance anything we have. Uh, so they are so advanced, it's mind boggling. And I think pretty much all researchers and experiencers agree on that. And yes, Roswell is real. It's not just Roswell. There's the Aztec crash. There's the Kecksburg, Pennsylvania crash. Those are crashes all across the world. Uh, most major countries, you know, have, I think, uh, UFO materials, bodies, and are reverse engineering it. And I think they're probably, you know, that's not my area of expertise in terms of, you know, a secret space program, but I'm pretty confident that there is, because I've talked to whistleblowers myself who have evidence of this, who were working on projects. One case comes to mind real quick, if I may. Yeah. Um, a guy who worked at Edwards Air Force Base as a subcontractor uh, saw inside a hangar and there was a UFO floating above the ground, making a humming noise. And it was the silver little saucer. And he turns to his employer at Edwards Air Force Base here in Southern California, says, what is that? And his employer turns pale and said, Shh, don't talk about it. I can't talk about it. Shut up, basically. And he asked him what that was. What was it? What was it? He says, I can't talk about it. You weren't supposed to see that. Stop talking. And it wasn't until a couple of years later when the same employer called up the guy who I was interviewed, um, who, by the way, was on his deathbed in a hospital and wanted to get his story out before he died. And this employer says, I need you for another job again. You know, can you work? And the guy interviewed said, no, I'm not going to work for you unless you tell me what we saw. And so they got into an argument over it and his employer said, fine, I'll tell you, can't tell anyone. That wasn't a UFO. That was reverse engineered from alien technology. We have learned how to reverse engineer some of this stuff. And it said the process uses counter rotating magnets to create a magnetic field outside of the craft, which draws it in the desired direction. That's just one case of many, many, many of what I would call a whistleblower. Yes, we do have this technology. Fairly sure some of the UFOs people are seeing are our own. Mm. So yeah, I suspect there is, you know, a space force. There was a guy, Gary McKinnon, who hacked into NASA computers and found all kinds of evidence on this. That was one of the first real big breaks (laughs) into this kind of information. But there are probably well over a thousand or thousands, I should say, of whistleblower accounts. We know pretty much for sure that we have this technology. 
And in fact, the Pentagon recently said, we have material from otherworldly vehicles. They said it. How advanced are, do, they, do you think they are? Because in, that, in this relatively short space of time to get to that level of, you know, of ability to fly one of those things, you know, to, because these are advanced people, it, not just having an advanced craft is one thing, but to be able to fly is the ability of pilots. Yeah. Um, it's my understanding that we have only a very limited understanding of ET technology and that most of it we can't understand. There are several accounts of these saucers being held at military bases that they can't even get inside. Right. They can't open it. And others, they get inside and they're like, where's the engine? How does this thing fly? There's no... Uh, and if you talk to the contactees, it's because they're fl flown using um, oh, psychic, yeah, psychic abilities. Yeah. So there's a lot we don't understand. I, I am not so sure we have the ability to travel between the stars, but some whistleblowers have said, oh yeah, we do. Uh, we, we absolutely are doing this. Uh, I don't a, know. It must be a full-time job for you to keep track of all this stuff. Oh yeah. It's impossible for one researcher to cover all of this. It really is, which is why I think some sort of specialize in UFO crashes, some specialize in landing trace cases. Um, me, I've sort of put my energies towards interviewing people who've had onboard experiences or face-to-face -face contact. I find those most interesting. That's where we get a lot of information. And, and you're offering a counseling service. You're helping these people. Yeah, yeah, because people have nobody to talk to. And uh, so that's always what they say. I'm like, no one believes me. I can't even talk to my own family about this. I'm like, I totally get that. Because when I'm like, UFOs are real guys. You know, I have five brothers and sisters. Who have also and seen them. <laughs> some, but some are like, Preston's lost his mind. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, they're real. They're honest to God, real. You know, and so are ghosts. It's not about experiences. And they're looking at me sideways. <laughs> Yeah. I've, con I've pretty much convinced them by, you know, after 35 years. <laughs> You've broken them down over endless yeah. Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, here, here's a police tape. You don't think they're real? Listen to this. You know, look at this. These are landing traces. Explain this. Now, there's, there's radar returns. Now, here's people who've been physically healed before and after x-rays. We have the proof. You know, people yeah. are getting implants and they're having them removed. And, uh, you know, I've been contacted by people who've had these experiences. A lady sent me x-rays of her son who went to the dentist and there's this thing under his tooth. And the doctors completely freaked out, the dentists. And I sent the x-rays to a medical doctor and an emergency physician. And they're both like, yeah, this is a foreign body. Um, we can't explain it. It's clearly metallic. Uh, and uh, there's just no way to explain this as anything other than an alien implant. Uh, unless he shot himself in the mouth with a BB gun, <laughs> which he did not do. This is a, you know, a 14 year old kid. And he said, no, that never happened. His mom says, no, that never happened. There's no entry wound. The tooth is asymptomatic. It's fine. Uh, but there's this thing under it and he has a history of encounters too. So does she, the, the mother. It's, it's a really eye opening for me because I'm a, I'm a member of the Ethereum Society. That's how I got chatting, you know, as, as you obviously know. And, and it's the oldest international UFO organization established in, in the 1950s. And it, it, it did originally start as a, also as an anti-nuclear campaigner. 
that Dr. King was a contact is a well, he channeled, it was more than a contact. He have you experienced have you knowledge of the theory society? Um, I'm certainly aware of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really amazing to me to see these commonalities. Uh, and I think it's great that pe you know, people are looking into all these different. You know, I hate that word paranormal or supernatural because it's really not. It's just something we don't fully understand. It's not unnatural or it's not breaking the laws of the universe. People can go out of their body. There is a soul. You know, people do have dreams that come true. Telepathy has been proven in a laboratory setting. Um, in fact, so has human levitation proven in a laboratory yeah, setting. Yeah, repeatedly photographed and proven. Yeah. People don't realize this. All this stuff is real. Uh, it's just, there's a very powerful campaign to sort of keep people asleep and controlled. And you know, what gets me is, you know, when you have a, a, a court of law trial, a testimony, you put someone on the stand, one person gives testimony, you can send someone to prison, but with UFOs and NDEs, I mean, there have been millions and millions of testimony in both these areas and, and it's still not accepted as, as science. Yeah. Not, it's getting close. It's now yeah. being discussed very seriously by you know, senators and presidents and uh, governors and representatives. It's um, on the evening news. Mm -hmm. We are very, very close to this being, you know, in the mainstream. We're not quite there yet. I want it to be taught in schools. I want to go to a museum and see the Roswell craft. Yeah. Until that happens, I don't think... I mean, there's always going to be a segment of the population who doesn't believe it. Like, show me, show me, show me, then I'll believe it. So until that happens, that's the end game for me. Then I'd be like, okay, fine. Now I don't have to investigate this anymore. But until, until that happens, I'm like, I am not going to give up. People need to know that we are not alone. And the evidence is there. It's absolutely conclusive. If you don't believe in UFOs, you have not done your homework. You know, the big, big thing for me that was the leap in understanding with the, with the Ethereum Society and spirituality and UFOs and NDEs is understanding that consciousness exists at different frequencies of vibration. So, so I'm here and everything around me is physical at my vibration, but at different levels of the electromagnetic spectrum, like when we die, we go to another realm, which is exactly here, here, but a different frequency of vibration. And so, depending on the, the level of experience, we go through different chakras or different realms. But also on other planets, they're on higher frequencies of vibration. All that they're all the other planets are populated, but it's just at a free, different frequency of, of vibration. And that's that connection between NDEs and, and life after death and the UFOs for me. That kind of really, because that's how they can blink in and out of existence. And, you know, that they are. They're far advanced to us. They're on a higher level. We're on. We look around the universe, and we only see we, we see no other planets that we can inhabit. That's because we're at a very base frequency. All the other planets are right, fully populated, but just at a higher frequency of vibration. Yeah, yeah. I've heard this. I think you know. Talk to like quantum physicists. Um, we know there are other dimensions. 
and I've certainly studied NDEs and OBEs, astral projection, to the point where I'm like, okay, what you people go, are going out of their body? Because these books talk about how to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try this because I wanted to see a UFO, and I did. You know, and right. I wanted to. Oh yeah, I've had a number of sightings, and I wanted to see ghosts because I'm like, what? What the first thing? So I did ghost research, and I saw ghosts absolutely. And I'm like, what? You can go out of your body, and here's how you do it. And you've so done it. I, you've learned how to do astral projection. Yeah, I got really good at it. No kidding. Really? And I, oh yeah, I wrote a book about it. Working on another one, and I cannot recommend it enough. It was very scary and difficult at first. Uh, but you know, after doing these exercises and really meditating and buckling down, uh, it took me about a month and a half to have my first one. Really? And um, yeah, ended up going to the other side over and oh, over again. You've been to the other realms? Oh, yeah. Well, talk, yeah. About, talk about a diligent researcher. You know, <laughs> you go down the butthole, you know. You, wow, that's incredible. Oh, it's so awesome. I cannot, I mean, if that... If I could leave anyone with any one message, I'd be like, meditate, wake up and try the out-of-body stuff. That that is will... quite, it is quite dangerous, though, if you haven't got a good level of concentration to do astral projection. Yeah. Um, that, that's, a, I think, a rumor. Because there was, you know, I read it. I'm like, people are like, oh, it's dangerous. You could get possessed, locked out of your body, lost. You know? And I scoured the literature. I've got every book I can find on this, and I could not find any evidence that this is dangerous. And in fact, it's my conclusion that it's as safe as sleeping. Well, really. We do project when we go to sleep. We all project unconsciously. Yes. Precisely. We are all having out-of-body experiences, but you're not remembering it. Uh, so really, the trick is re remembering. So what, tell me about your experiences then. This is fascinating. Oh, it's awesome. You know, it's basically just a process of physically relaxing and mentally relaxing. And then you do visualizations sort of. And uh, the first time it happened, I had laid down on bed one day. I'd been doing the exercises and just suddenly my whole body relaxed and started buzzing. And I'm like, oh, this is what's happening. Ah, <laughs> you know, I was a little bit frightened because I wasn't quite sure what was happening, even though I'd been warned that you might feel electric vibrations. And that's what was happening. I initially thought I'd stuck my finger in the life socket, light socket, and was being electrocuted. But then I popped out of my body, just suddenly, spontaneously, flew across the room, across the hallway and into the bathroom, and looked in the mirror, and there was nobody there. And I'm like, oh, I'm out of body. That's what's happening. Ugh. I'm like, wow, it's real. This is absolutely real. And I got so excited. And whenever you have super strong emotion, you know, fear or excitement, it will pull you right back in. And that's what happened. I popped back into my body. I'm like, oh, this is real. And I did it again the next weekend because I, you know, sleeping late, did the same exact thing. Did it again a few days later. I popped out of my body. It was the middle of the night and thought I had died. Oh, I was so scared. <laughs> I thought I was dead, honestly, because I saw my body lying in, on my bed. I dived back in and woke up. I'm like, oh, oh, that's another one. So after, you know, three of them, I started really meditating. And it took me a year to stay out more than 10 seconds. Because <laughs> I would 
And I'd pop out and be like, I did it. Whoosh, right back in. (laughs) Yeah, it was really funny, but frustrating. Because over and over again, I'd pop out and be like, yeah. Whoosh, right back. (laughs) So finally, one day I just popped out. I'm like, here, relax. And I was able to, you know, walk out into the living room through the wall. It's really weird. And over a period of years, I just got better and better at it. And finally, I'm like, I want to see, you know, my mom had passed away. And that was my driving motivation. I wanted to know if there was life after death. And I called for her and she appeared and took me to the other side and gave me a tour. And I can tell you that the other side is the most beautiful place you will ever see. (laughs) Ever. I mean, it's glowing with inner light. The air sparkles. You cannot be in a bad mood. I, there's just no way. You are encased in love. And it's just, I don't even, it's almost indescribable. The colors are twice as vivid. You know, like the dif- difference between black and white TV and high definition color. <laughs> it's kind of like that. I mean, and is it, a, is it, a pla- is it, so there's roads and cars and, or is it, what is it like in that? Um, there are roads and cars on the lower levels. And this is something I, I started investigating. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's levels and dimensions and, you know, different levels. Because uh, I started hearing about, you know, the hellish realms, mm. so, so to speak, the lower levels, earthbound spirits and all this. And uh, yes, on the lower levels, it's very much urban, very much like earth on a bad day. <laughs> uh, but at the higher, you know, where most of us go, it's what, what I would call the heavenly realms, I guess. I'm not really religious, uh, uh, very much like a garden. And very much nature with little pathways and streams and benches. Not so much buildings or cars or anything like that. It's just this beautiful, beautiful place. And you can go even higher than that, where there are gorgeous buildings built out of glowing quartz crystal, it looks like. Uh, Just really beautiful, beautiful settings. Uh, So it kind of all depends where where, what level you're at, but most people go to this garden realm. I've had a number of people die, you know, that I know throughout the years. And I always go and visit them. I, I had a friend, Roger, who died of alcoholism. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to see him. I know I am because this always happens. And it was about three weeks after he died that I did see him. And he was in the, the lowest realm I've ever been in. It was just pure darkness. And he was screaming. He was panicking. He's like, I'm not ready for this. What's happening? What's happening? And I'm like, you're going to be okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do what I can to help you. You're going to be fine. I promise you. And uh, started praying for him and uh, sending him light and love and told everyone, you know, Roger's in trouble. You need to send him some prayers. And I saw him a couple of months later and he was in a, still the slower realm and I couldn't get to him. There was a barrier. There's all kinds of tunnels and barriers and walls and stuff on these lower realms. And he was much better. He's like, thank you, Preston. You helped me a whole lot. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. I'm like, see, I told you you're going to be fine. Uh, Cause when you start to learn how to do this, you're sort of inducted into 
rescuing earthbound souls and pulling them up to the other side. And I've done that a number of times. Uh, and uh, that's what I was doing with him. And eventually I did find him in what I would call those garden realms, but he was in a hospital and he was being sort of rehabilitated. So he had, you know, his, his struggle with alcoholism made his transition difficult, which is what we hear about from mediums, you know, and earthbound spirits are ones who have, are addicted to drugs or alcohol or lived a life of crime and, you know, bad morals and stuff that can leave you earthbound. It's all very interesting. It's more than it's fascinating. I wasn't expecting this. Yeah, I was ready to talk about UFOs, but uh, wow. So, so this is where people go and they spend the the right amount of time on these realms, depending on their their karmic situation. Yes, are they learning there, or what? Well, so so we're in, incarnating twice. We're in two cycles of reincarnation. Yeah, we we re, reborn there, reborn here, reborn there. We're going up, evolving, learning, learning. So, what's what are people doing on? these other realms and maybe you can yeah. go to that. Yeah. When you go to the other side, you get to recover <laughs> from your life on earth, which is very much like a difficult school. I mean, we're coming here to learn things you cannot learn on the other side. There, there is no pain on the other side. You don't have separation. We have a very strong sense of individuality here. And, uh, there on the other side, you're very connected to everyone and everything. And it's very loving. So you don't experience jealousy, rage, or loss, or despair, or any of that. These are things you can only learn here. So we come here to learn who we are, develop certain abilities, uh, learn what love and compassion is, what pain is, how to deal with loss, all these things that you cannot experience on the other side. And there's a long waiting list to get on earth and into the third dimension all the other you know i'm not as good at this as some of these other guys robert monroe was someone i would point to he's the one who taught me how to do this in his books and he says all people who graduate from the earth system are well respected throughout the universe I'm like i bet that's true because earth is hard and so you go to the other side to basically recover from your life and plan out your next life and what you can learn if you want to, or just move on and hang out there for as long as you want. Uh, but eventually, you know, people go up levels and levels and levels. It's pretty much infinite. There are much higher dimensions. There are, it's more than just the astral body. It's there, are, you know, the causal body, the atmic body, the buddhic body, this Eastern religion has it all mapped out. And me, I'm just kind of stumbling around <laughs> doing my best, but hey, if my MO has been like, well, this person did it, I can do it. You know, they went to the Akashic records. I, I want to try that. You know, this person went to a healing temple. That sounds like fun. <laughs> you know, this person, you know, learned about all their past lives. If you go out of body, you start getting taken to all your past lives, which is all kinds of fun. A little scary at oh. points, but because <laughs> I didn't start it. This is crazy stuff. You know, I didn't expect him to go through all of this. Wow. Can we, can we talk again on another episode? Would you be up for another chat? Oh, I would love to. Yeah. All right. The OBE stuff. I, I love it as much as UFOs, even more so because it's about us. 
yeah okay well i've got a lot more questions about this and i i um yeah i just really want to keep chatting but my dinner's almost ready and my girlfriend will kill me if i <laughs> stay talking for another hour and um yeah so i'm going to check out robert monroe and anything else i should look at before we chatting before we chat next time um yeah i would definitely check out robert monroe he's probably my favorite researcher on this subject uh but william buhlman he's also okay. very good uh, but yeah, I mean, I would love to chat again. There's all yeah, kinds you make of things sound, to talk about. Because you can, you know, you make it sound so easy now and you condense it down, but you've gone through, you went through this year of this frustration and this determination. And um, it's really incredible. Yeah. Because I know yogis who can do this and they can do out of body astral projection, but they're very reluctant to talk about it. Um, yeah. I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I think now is the time for this knowledge to come out. It is easy to do. Some people have. A steep learning curve. Uh -huh. Um, I kind I mean, it took me a month and a half to have my first one. And I've taught classes on this and people have had it the next day. Wow. So it, this is a natural human talent. We all can do it. It's one of the most common psychic experiences. Almost everybody will have at least one OBE in their lifetime. Flying dreams are a strong indication of this. Yeah, I have those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then you're pretty much ready. All you need to do is so oh, put put some effort up. for it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh my god. I yeah, you blew my mind. I mean, uh, cuz you know, I'm into the ethereal side now, so I believe in UFOs, but if one landed outside, I'd still be as shocked as everyone, even though I'm in a society that, you know, talks about it every day and I'm, you know, Dr. King went down to the lower astral realms in projection and he he took he took on the dark forces you know he was a jedi but still to hear it from someone like you in a first person is still it's fascinating so okay let's just pause there and um pick this up <laughs> another time yeah i need to i need to digest this and then my dinner and then uh i'll try and okay well let's just and you've written the written a book as well yeah so is that book available yeah out of body exploring a beginner's approach uh, which I would recommend because a lot of these books kind of dive right into the deep end mm, yeah. and, uh, don't, don't give people, a, you know, sort of a platform to figure out how to do this at a step-by-step -step basis. That's what you want. Yeah. So is that available on Amazon or your website? What's the best way to get that? Yeah. Amazon. I do have a website. All my books are there excerpts. Um, so, but yeah, on Amazon. And that's PrestonDennett.com. Yeah com, but if you punch in my name it'll take you there okay go in there <laughs> all right fantastic thank you so much preston it's really a wonderful conversation hey i really appreciate it thank you all right take care chat to you next time all right bye bye, -bye.